Good morning. I'm Barb Visser, and I'm heading up the women's ministries here at Crossroads. And the passion of the women's ministries is to do just what Greg said, to help us grow in our love for God and for each other. Women, we're not old, and we're not young, and we're not just single, and we're not married. We can be anywhere from college age to grandmas, but we all want to grow together. And so this week is a great opportunity for women all across Crossroads to get together outside of this Sunday morning time and get to know each other, find out about ways that you can get connected during the week, ways that you can minister and serve and grow. We have two kickoffs this week, um, Thursday night and Saturday morning, meeting at the Crossroads offices. There's sign-ups on the way out today. Stop by, ask some questions, meet someone, sign up. They're free tickets, a great opportunity to get to know other women and to grow in relationship with them and with Jesus. Um, also, I have an announcement for parents, parents of junior high, 7th and 8th, and high school. Any of you here? Probably a lot. Um, your meeting is today. It's a mandatory, important meeting at 1115 in the choir room, which is right down the hall there. Make sure you come to that and find out about what's happening for our students. And tonight, high school ministry starts at Sigma's. And next week, 7th and 8th grade begins at Plowman's. So lots going on. Please check the um, quad that you got when you came in for times and connections and, and take that step to get involved. Thanks, Brian. Good morning, guys. Hey, um, if you want to, if you maybe are new here at Crossroads, I see a lot of uh, new faces. There's a ton of people here. It's just crazy. Um, time with the team is a way that you guys can all get connected with just the staff here and just find out what this Bible church is all about. And it's uh, next is it tonight? It's next weekend. This is not correct. It's the 19th, September 19th, um, at the church offices. And you can just call the church offices. We just kind of want to find out how many people are coming so we have enough like drinks and food to provide for everyone. But if you just want to find out what the heart of Crossroads is all about and meet some people, come on to time with the team. Um, okay, let me see some hands of some college students. Anyone college in here? It's like the entire church, right? <laughs> Okay, so we have this great thing that's been happening um, for the last, like, seven months. It's just this college worship night, and it happens every other Wednesday. And this Wednesday is the kickoff for, like, the fall and winter season. So all those hands, I expect to see you Wednesday night. We do worship. There's teaching. There's fellowship, and it is just awesome. It's at the Bridge Street House of Prayer at 8 o'clock at night, Wednesday night. All right. And then the last thing. Just like I said, there are just, God is blessing this church, amen? I mean, there are just, it's great to see everyone here. And you guys all know that um, we're doing this church stretch here. October 3rd is our first week. We're having another campus like this. And you guys can imagine, um, I just think it's so great, don't you guys? Um, there's this, this great opportunity, too, for, for just service. I mean, that's part of what the body of Christ is. We don't just gather here, uh, you know, look at the words on the screen and sing and then listen to Rod and go home and whatever. Uh, part of the body of Christ is this service, too. And we have an awesome opportunity for, for, I mean, it's our church, for all of you guys to just serve, give your lives away. Um, I really look forward to partnering with a lot of you. And it's um, set up and tear down. We have two campuses now. We all love coming to Crossroads. We all love walking around that corner and seeing the 600 chairs out, the stage up. But when I get here on Saturday morning, this looks like a gym. And kids play basketball in here. 
There's no chairs, no nothing. And what better way to lay your lives down? It's like the Israelites, like the, um, the Levites coming and setting up the tabernacle where Jesus, God comes and he's able to meet with our body here. And so really, we need you guys. We need men and women who are willing to give like an hour and a half once a month. And it's not a huge call. We're going to need people for this campus and for the North Point campus. And so if you have one hour to give once a month, I just I want to see you after this service. I'm going to be up here. I got a couple sign-up sheets. I just need a little bit of information. And I'll get you plugged onto a team. And there's community in it. And there's prayer. And there's, you know, we pray down these halls and ask God to fill them. And he, and he, he responds to us. Greg has something too here. After that, I kind of feel like the chapter in the book that shouldn't have been written, you know. Um, we've, we've, we have just huge uh, opportunity. We've got a community of people that just are not blow-offs. They're, they're people who are broken and hungry, who happen to play an instrument, who want to use that instrument for God's, I don't say God's glory to, to be trite or bogus or plastic. I mean, really, for his glory. And so we're looking for a few people, keyboardists, bass guitarists, electric guitarists, uh, predominantly. And so if that's you and you're, you're skillful on your instrument and you want to jump on board one of these bands, we're, we're, gonna f- we're prayerfully forming six bands now where there have been three. And just so that you know, this church stretch is not going to be uh, this thing where we lose God in it all, okay? We're, we're going to have real teaching in both places. We're going to ha- really worship, and it's going to be the same as this place week after week. It's just going to, one place is going to be over at North Point, and the other is going to be here. So, so we have need all over the place. Uh, I am the human, and Will is the human. Uh, human. human. Yeah, he is human, and I'm human. Uh, uh, what am I? What am I trying to say? That, yeah, I know. But the checkoff list, the sign up list. So that we're the human sign up lists here. So after the service, if you're a musician or a setup person, come and see us. We'd love to get you plugged in. And I think that's it. Is that it? Okay, great. Stand up. Shake another hand. We don't have any other way to transition right now. So shake another hand, and we'll bring you back. like you've been going to church your whole life and that's what you do but wow we could have been talking the whole time maybe we ought to do that some Sunday just come here I know hey um since you're standing let's just dive right into God's word right now if you don't have a bible just raise your hand love to get you one if you weren't here this summer we've been going through the book of Philippians and I can say we've almost made it to the end of chapter three (laughs) took us a while, but I think I'm actually going to wrap it up next week, so chapter 4. But we're going to look at 17 through 21. This is God's Word. We, we stand in this place for God's Word, and it's not just out of respect. 
but it's like a good Michigan Notre Dame football game, you know? <laughs> and it's kind of right before you see Denard about ready to break free. And what does everybody do? Well, Michigan fans are just like standing to their feet because they can't wait to see what's going to happen. That's why we stand here. We're anticipating the word of God being spoken to our hearts. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That is going to be an incredible moment. Uh, You can be seated. Before I forget, just let me make mention of something. Tuesday night, this Tuesday at 7 o'clock, in our church offices, I'm calling this church to prayer. So write that thing down. I'd like to see every person there. Tuesday at 7 o'clock. I almost forgot that. I'm so glad I remembered. Okay. Little background. We've been going over this book now for a while. Why is Paul writing Philippians? What's his aim? What's, What's maybe the verse that captures the purpose as to why Paul's writing this thing? What's that? 127. Thank you, Randy. All right? Uh, and, and there Paul says, here's what I want. I want you to live a life worthy of the gospel. And here's what Paul so badly wants. He wants them to live a life. I'm going to say something right now that I, I, I really believe. I think sermons, I think church services have largely become a joke to both people inside the church and outside the church because people, I think, are tired of talk, 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 sing, sing, sing. Where's a life? Where's the life that is so well lived for Christ? The change life, the transform life. I'm going to tell you, that is the thing that has power. It's the thing that always has had power, and it's the thing that continues to have power. And that's what Paul wants. I want you to live a life. And so in chapter 2, what Paul does is he gives examples of what this kind of life looks like. And of course, the supreme example is Christ. It's this cross-shaped life. It's this, it's this life of, of letting go, of going down, of becoming small, of giving up life for the sake of others. 
Then Paul says, all right, let me give you a few more examples. Let me tell you about Timothy. Let me tell you about Paphroditus. Look at these guys. Look at how they, they humble themselves and how they give up and empty themselves. They go down and they give their life up. And now in chapter 3, Paul gets really personal. And this culminates in verse 17, where he essentially says this, Watch me. Watch my life and be like me. And I know to some of you this sounds arrogant, but I want you to hear, Paul is not saying he's perfect because all you have to do is read the the, the verses before that. And he's almost saying like, hey, I'm not even close to perfect. I don't have this whole thing figured out. But I think Paul can unequivocally say, watch me and follow me because he is so much going after Christ and going Christ's way. I've given it up going down, becoming small, and giving up his life. And Paul begins this chapter by showing us the enemy of this kind of life. And he, he, in verse 2, he says three times, he says, Beware, beware, beware. The greatest enemy of this kind of life is religion. Religion. And we say what religion is. Religion is, is when I think it's all about me. It's the righteousness and goodness that I produce and give to God instead of the righteousness that God produces and gives to me. Paul says, watch out for this. This is a danger that's lurking. Now Paul ends this chapter with, an, with another enemy. And the enemy is worldliness. And while this isn't always the case, I've thought, you know what? Religion is usually the enemy to our justification, our coming to Christ. Worldliness is oftentimes the enemy of our sanctification, our becoming like Christ. And look at verses 18 and 19 of our text today. He says, For as I have often told you before and now say even again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. That's worldliness. And, and, and what is it that I mean by worldliness? Worldliness is simply this. It's when I live as if the world is all there is. See, I might profess to be a Christian, but practically speaking, I live as an atheist, as if there's no God, as if there's no revelation of God. It's like Ryan talked about last week. It's just a little Jesus. Just give me just a little Jesus. Because too much Jesus is going to interfere with my life in the world. And this is why worldliness and religion, even though we think they're poles apart, are actually the same thing. Because with both of them, it's still all about me. Because they both say this. My life needs to go up and not down. I must become more instead of less. I must get a life and produce a life instead of giving up my life. And that's why we saw in the parable of the prodigal of two sons that there's two sons. Both are lost. One is lost as a good person. One is lost as a bad person. One is lost in their religion. The other is lost in worldliness. Look how Paul defines what a worldly person is. Verse 19, he says, their God is their stomach. 
Let's remember what Philippi as a city is. Philippi is a Roman colony. In fact, it was established to be a mini-Rome. So, again, Paul is writing not just to Romans, but he's writing to Romans who become Christians. And yet, while these guys are Christians, you have to wonder how much of their Roman ways they kept. Because I don't know if you know this. In fact, I learned this when I was in Israel studying this time period. The Romans knew how to party. Well, I knew that. They would create these gatherings where there'd be this huge spread of food. Every kind of food you could think of. And they'd gorge. And they'd gorge. And they even had a special room where a person could go after they had gorged, and they'd throw it all up. Why? So they could gorge again. And they'd gorge some more, and they'd gorge some more. And they'd go to the room, throw it all up, come back. And see, what we also know about the Romans is not only did they gorge just on food, but they pretty much gorged on everything. I mean, they gorged on their entertainment. They gorged on sex. They gorged on pleasure. They gorged on sport. Sound familiar? And see, when when Paul says here, referring to their stomach, it more literally ought to read their appetite. And see, the kind of appetite that Paul is referring to is anything that feeds the flesh. And now flesh gets translated out of our Bibles a lot. Um, A lot of times it's translated as sinful nature. But the Bible, especially the New Testament, speaks a lot about the flesh. And the flesh is simply this. It's the self. It's the ego. It's anything that pleasures me, serves me, advances me, feeds me. And Paul says their God is their appetite. And what I wonder this morning is how many of us respect the power the power of our appetites. Because I believe that our appetites literally determine the direction of our lives. Whether it be the cravings of our stomach or the the intense desire for possessions or the craving for control and power and money or this intense longing for some pleasure. Our appetites will determine who we are, and what we're becoming. Bank on it. They're powerful. Whether it be a destructive appetite for food, an appetite for sex, an appetite for beauty, an appetite for control. In fact, we got this little, like, war going on in my family, okay? You get scared. It's not that bad. But I got kids, okay, that are getting to that age... Video games, okay? This is the battle. Mom and dad, you, are, you have no idea how much my friends play video games. How, how long? Three, four, sometimes five or six hours a day. Oh, really? Well, you guys got your half-hour limit. And that's when the war starts, okay? And it, it always comes down to this question, dad... What's so wrong with video games? And this is what I told them. I said, you keep playing them and playing them and playing them. 
All you're doing is feeding a cancer. That cancer's yourself. And this cancer has the capability to overtake you and literally destroy your life. And if you at this age can't say no to a video game, you tell me how you're going to say no to other appetites that you don't even know about right now. And see, there's this thing called the pleasure button. And, and, and we learn at a young age, we hit it. Oh, that felt good. We hit it again. Oh, I like that. We keep hitting it. And what we find is that we got to hit it harder. And we got to hit it faster and faster and faster and faster. Why? Because it delivers less and less and less. So we need more, more, more. Until finally, it becomes a God. And see, I've said this before, but I think the ancients better understood something that we don't. The reason they had a God for everything, a God for sport, a God for romance, a God for war, a God for for money and prosperity is because they knew that money was more than money, but there's a power behind money. That sex is more than sex, but there's a power behind sex. And that's why in Colossians 3 verse 5, and I could take you to so many places, especially in the New Testament, that give us this kind of exhortation. Paul says this, put to death whatever is earthly in you. Kill it. What do we do with cancer? Who feeds cancer? We starve it. We cut it out. We go to any length to get rid of it. In the same way, I'm telling you, these powers, these appetites, they need to be kicked out. They need to be starved out. They need to be cut out. That's why Jesus says, gouge it out. Cut it off. See, if if there's anything I could have you hear today, it's what I'm going to say right now. Whether you know this or not right now, the deepest appetite that God has put within you is an appetite for him. That's why Paul says, I want to know him. Not just know about him, but I want to know him intimately. I want to know him personally. I want to know him experientially because Paul was in touch with the deepest appetite of the human soul. David said it, as a deer pants for streams of water, I, I thirst for you. And I think the reason I sound like a crazy man or some of you think what's he talking about this appetite for God is because some of you have been nibbling or gorging so long at the table of the world and you don't know what's offered to you in fact Olivia was just saying this to me when she heard this she said you know it's, it's, this is a powerful picture for me she said you know it's like living in the garage of this great mansion. No, I, I, I love the garage. And C.S. Lewis said it so well, too. He says, you know, we're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition. 
when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Some of you are just like, just making mud pies. God has made us for himself, said Augustine. Our souls are restless until they rest in him. Restless until they take him in, drink him, eat him. Get him. Starve this, kill it. Take him in. Sermon could be done right now. If you walk away with that today, I'll praise God. Paul continues, he says this about worldly people. They glory glory in their shame. Have you ever stopped to think about how shameful some of the things are that we actually glory in or boast? I mean, there are realities today that literally ought to bring us to tears because they're so shameful, so degrading, so dehumanizing, so divisive and racist. So disgusting. And yet oftentimes these are the, rea- the, the things that people spend their time talking about. They spend their time pursuing. They're the things that people think are fun or funny. They're often the things that we find entertaining. And you, you say, well, what are these things? My brother was telling me this week, he, he works at a bank. And one of the bosses had, had executives sent out an email to all the 20 underlings of a YouTube video. So you got to watch this. It's just so funny. And this guy is not a Christian, so what do you expect? But he knew. He knew that most of these 20 guys profess faith in Christ. And it was just a guy in a locker room cursing, cursing, cursing. And he says, you're going to love the last 20 seconds of this thing. Those last 20 seconds, it's just taking the name of the Lord, his name, just in vain. In this. It's funny. Just go through a checkout line and just look at the magazines. I mean, our glory, isn't it, in our shame? Have you stopped to think that, uh, that we have a whole generation of teenagers today whose whole existence is defined by malls, movies, and music? We glory in this. And then I think, you know what? It's not the kid's fault because all they're doing is mimicking mom and dad. Or have you ever thought about how much we glory in the fact that we have these gadgets and conveniences that allow us to see whatever we want to see, talk to whoever we want to talk to, go wherever we want to go, buy whatever we want to buy. And we glory in this. And just think about the way Americans do life. This hit me so hard just being away from it for four months and then realizing about how much money we make compared to the rest of the world and then how we spend our money. And it's so shameful to much of the world and yet we glory in it. Or even churches, Christian organizations, Christian schools. And I'll tell you what, we can even put this shoe on and wear it a little bit. I'm not just talking out there, but it's a temptation in here. 
in the last 20 years, billions of dollars probably have been spent on bricks and mortar. And it goes up and we glory in it. Paul says, worldly people also, their mind is on earthly things. And without saying too much here, I just want to cut right to the chase. How much of your life is consumed with earthly things? And you say, well, what's an earthly thing? This is what an earthly thing is. It's anything that in the end doesn't matter. Clothes. Food, houses, cars, jobs, education, football games. And let me ask it this way. How much of your life really, really is consumed with God? Colossians 3 says, set your mind and heart on things above. Jesus said, seek ye first my kingdom that's why paul says this in verse 20 he says but our citizenship is in heaven do you know that do you think that you meditate on that see i love this word citizenship because this word now connects us to chapter 1 verse 27 it's the same exact word it's politoimoi And you can hear the word politic in it or polis where we get the word city. And it's it's what Paul is saying in in 1 verse 27 where he says, live a life worthy of the gospel. It most literally reads this, behave as a citizen worthy of the gospel. And now Paul's saying, why? Because you're not citizens of this world. You're a citizen of heaven. Act like it. Live like it. And so that begs this question right now, and I want you to ask it of yourself, to what city are you a citizen? What city do you belong to? See, now we're back in that sermon series, the city of God in the city of man. You guys remember that? We did it a couple years ago. We learned how the Bible is a tale of two cities, city of God, city of man, Jerusalem, which means city of Shalom, Babel or Babylon, which means chaos. What city do you belong to? What city are you seeking? What city right now defines who you are and why you are here? To what city are you giving your life? See, the city of man, which the Bible names Babel or Babylon, in the Hebrew, it's the same word. Babel is at the beginning of the Bible. And it's defined by human pride. Let's build a tower to reach the heavens, to make a name for ourselves. Again, it's worldliness. It's living as if the world is all there is. I'm going to build a tower. I'm going to make a name for me. See, but Babylon is not at just the beginning of the Bible. It's at the end of the Bible. And there it's described as Babylon the Great. Because by worldly standards, this city is great for three reasons. First of all, it's her, her power. All the powerful people of the world look to her, derive their power from her. The second thing is her wealth. 
All the world's wealth is her. She is the engine that drives the world's economy. And the third characteristic of the city that makes it great is her sensuality. Babylon throughout Revelation is called Babylon the whore. In fact, the word that's used in Revelation to describe her is the Greek word pornea. She's the porn king. And that's all part of her lure. It's a place where the peoples of the earth go with their appetites and they're captivated by her spell. See, this is Babylon. This power-driven, pleasure-seeking city which we call the city of man. I'm going to tell you something. We live in Babylon. My kids go to Babylon every day to school. You go to Babylon every day to work. It's where we live. The question becomes this then. What are we to do with Babylon? And see, this is where I, I, I find the body of Christ falling prey to two great temptations to either accommodate or isolate. And accommodation is, is, is simply this. It's when we become just like the world around us. But here's the deal. If we are living a life worthy of the gospel, we're not just going to be different. We're going to be painfully different. And the second great temptation is isolation. It's this temptation to escape the world, to flee Babylon, to run to the hills, circle the wagons. But this isn't what God calls us to do either because Babylon is the place where God calls us to live. Go to the middle of the Bible to Jeremiah 29 and there you'll see God saying to his people, I want you to move in. Move into Babylon and seek the full shalom of the city. He says, don't decrease. I want you to increase. I want you to become all the more of what I've made you to be. And I don't want you to stay on the fringe. I don't want you to just stay in the suburbs. I want you to move in with all that I've made you to be. Move all the way in. Get into its heart. That's why Jesus said, you're a city on a hill. Because what God wants is this. He wants the city of God be an alternate city to the city of Babylon. He wants us to move in and to stand out, to be different, to be light, to pray for Babylon, to love Babylon, to be new creations in Babylon, spreading new creation to it. And see, the way that we move in, this is so important, it's not as card-carrying residents. But the Bible has this term called resident aliens. In fact, you, you read about it in Hebrews 11 when it's talking about the people of faith. And it says, all these people did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted this, that they were aliens and strangers on earth. And they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. See, that's how we live in Babylon. We live there as exiles, as strangers, knowing this. Babylon is not our home, and it never will be. It never was. New Jerusalem is our home. And we can't wait for the final consummation, for that holy city to come down, for heaven to come down to earth as the answer to our Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But until that day, we're exiles. 
strangers. And so I'll tell you what this means. As exiles, we're people who no longer choose to do life that's based on comfort or safety or familiarity or being in control of our lives. An exile is someone who is always thinking, where can I go and what can I do to best get the business of God done? Is that how you think? See, our world's desperate. Our world desperately needs who are moving in. And here's what it says in Hebrews 11, verse 12 about Abraham. This little clause, I love it. It says, he was as good as dead. Dead to what? He's dead to the world. He's dead to the world system. He's dead to the world stuff. He's dead to the world's ideas. He's dead to what's in. He's dead to what's out. He's dead to what's cool, what's not cool. He's dead. I'm going to tell you what, when you're dead, money's just money. A house is just a shelter over your head. A job is simply and only the place where God has placed you at his street corner to carry out the kingdom of God. An exile holds everything like this. Is this how you're holding your life? Your stuff? Be honest right now. Where's your heart and life, the things of Babylon? How are you doing right now with your appetites? How consumed are you right now with money? How are you treating sex? What kind of towers are you building right now? What kind of legacy are you leaving? See, how we treat these things are incredibly important because they tell us what city we belong. Do we belong to Babylon or are we citizens of heaven? What city gets my time? What city gets my money? What city gets my talent and how God's wired me to be? What am I living for? Paul says this, my citizenship is in heaven. I'm found in him. My life is Christ. For me to live is Christ. My wants and appetites are for Christ. I want to know Christ. And then Paul says, join me. Watch me. And see, here Paul sounds so Jewish because you don't see this in your NIV text, but two times... He uses the word walk. First of all, it's in verse 17. He says, take note of those who live. It's actually the word walk. Who walk according to the pattern we gave you. And then in verse 18, he says, I've often told you, and now say again with tears in my eyes, many walk, not live, as enemies of the cross of Christ. And the reason I I, I say that this is so Jewish is because to them, it's all about a walk. Life is all about the walk and the path we choose to walk. I wish I had more time to show you all the times 
in the Old Testament where God calls us to walk because this whole thing is about a walk. Walk in my ways. Walk according to my word. Walk in my Torah. Walk before me in truth with all your heart. Walk in the light of my face. Find the ancient paths and walk and you will find rest for your souls. Adam and Eve, what did they do? They walked with God. Enoch walked, says the Bible, with God. Noah, it says, walked with God. Abraham, leklaka, start walking. Moses, you walk. You walk to Pharaoh. No, I don't want to walk to Pharaoh. Yes, you're going to walk to Pharaoh. I'm going to be with you. Moses learns how to walk. Then he gets his people to find God's paths, and they walk. Jesus shows up and says to the disciples, walk, walk after me. Paul's walking a path and all of a sudden, boom, Paul, you're on the wrong path. I want you to now walk with me. See, in the New Testament, in the many places where your Bible says, live this, live this way, it's really the word walk, walk after me, walk in my spirit. Walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Walk in the light of God's word. Walk in him. Walk in the newness of life. Walk such good lives among the pagans that they will see your good deeds and praise God. It's a walk. It's not just a talk. It's not just putting propositions in our brains. The whole thing is a walk and it's finding God's Path, And that's what Paul is saying in verse 17. Walk according to the pattern, the path that we've shown you. What's that path? This is the path. It's the path of losing yourself. It's the path of becoming of no reputation. It's the path of going down. It's the path of giving up your life. It's the path of becoming small, becoming nothing. It's a path. And Jesus said this. He says, narrow is the path. Only if you find it. I get that because that's so biblical. Find the path. It's a narrow one and you walk it. But the part that surprises me, he could just end there because I get the picture. But he also first starts with, enter through the gate. The narrow gate. Why narrow? I'll tell you why it's narrow. Because you and I got to get so small. Our life has to get so small. We have to go so far down. Get on that path. And see, you have no idea how badly I want you to get this. I want this to burn in us that the path we have chosen is the path of giving everything up. It's letting go of everything, all privilege, all significance of anything we call our glory. And that we live our lives to go down and to get real small. And become nothing. How many of you get up in the morning 
and just instinctively think, instead of how can I win today and become more and get more, which is everything we've been taught, how can I lose? And how can I become less? And how can I go down today? And how can I become nothing? How many of us are really dreaming about downsizing? And I'm not talking just materially. I'm talking downsizing even my, my reputation and downsizing my notoriety and, and, and downsizing my status and, and downsizing so much so that I hardly get noticed. And I know what you're saying right now. Well, well who really lives this way? Christians live this way. This is the way. This is the path. This is the pattern. The God of the universe emptied himself of all and he came down and became nothing. And gave his life up. And 1 John 2 verse 6 says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Did he walk like him today? Are you walking his path? Are you a citizen of the city of man? Or are you a citizen of heaven? Can you honestly say today in your heart, I'm going his way, the world behind me, all behind me, and the cross? Some of you are asking, you know, why would anybody even want this? I got one answer. And it's from the text. He's coming back. He's coming back. And, and you know what? You can choose that broad path. That easy path, and you can take hold of the world. But Jesus says, you know what? You can even gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul. Or you can go his way and get in that little narrow gate and walk that narrow path going down, down, down. When he comes, and the text says he has all the authority. He's going to look for the small people and the little people, the broken people. He's going to lift them up. And everything that God has done in Jesus, how he exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, he's going to do that for anyone who's on that path. Choose it. Walk it. Let's pray.
God, we just we want to be able, Lord, to peel through our world and the way we get ensnagged in the world and the way that our hearts listen to the world, the way our appetites feed themselves in the world. And God, we're just asking for help today. Would you set us free? The power, powerful finger of, of God come in, Lord, and, and set our hearts free. Free to go your way. Free to become small. Free to become nothing. Free to become of no reputation. Free to completely give up our life. Only, Lord, to wait for that day, the glorious day when the king of all kings comes back and he lifts us up. He gives us new bodies and he, he redeems us fully from the inside out. Do the work, Lord, that you need to do in my heart and in this community starting right now for your glory. He, got, he gave me the flu on Friday, too, which always just kind of like, you didn't feel that much more weak in that whole deal. And um, Like, I can, I can be a really worldly person. And I think some of you are feeling that right now, too. We're talking about life or death stuff here. We're not talking about small stuff. We're talking about the biggest of stuff, eternal stuff. Get off that path today. Listen, we have a heavenly father who's just, he's sitting on the porch. He can't wait for us to come home. Come home today. And I, and I, I, I called people to this last night. Come home. And a man came up to me in tears in his eyes at, after the service, and he said, tonight, Rod, I, I came home. Come home. He's your heavenly daddy. He, he loves you. And right now, I'm just, I'm going to pray for whoever you are. Open your heart to God right now. And just in your heart, pray this prayer with me. God, I know myself. I know who I am. I know what I am. I know where I am. And I'm in the world. And I'm in snag. And my appetites are too strong. God, I need help. Let me come to my senses. Show me the face of, of the Father. Show him on the porch just waiting for me. God, help me. Take me home. Get me home. Get me on your path. Help me to go your way. For your glory. In Jesus' name.